Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. It's really good. And I just can't wait to experience worship when, when, every, when, when the thousands of generations stand before the throne and see him and we begin to worship. Um, uh, yeah, that, that, what Dylan was talking about, it's, it's a really important thing to do, is that we're self-aware that we actually, you know, Paul says to examine yourselves, and, and it's not in this way of, of being self-condemning. You know, you be careful that when you start examining yourself, you don't start to condemn yourself, um, but that you actually look at yourself in light of Jesus and so it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So if I see things in my life that are not the result of Christ living in me, when I see those things, I actually deal with those things and just say, God, it's not okay. It's not okay that I, we can't just take this personality stuff and say, well, that's just the way that I am because you no longer belong to you. You're not who you were. You've been born again into Christ. The spirit of the living God lives inside of you. You know, so you, you can't say, well, you know, I'm just not a patient person. You didn't, nobody's a patient person. On their own, nobody is. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit of God. And, and it's not like you get to pick and choose. Well, I, I have this fruit, and I have that fruit, and I don't really have that. No, no, these are the fruit of the Spirit, meaning if the Spirit of God's living in you, this fruit will be exhibited in your life. And there may be some that, that are exhibited more than others, but if you find yourself not being patient, get alone with Him and ask Him, because the truth of the matter is, is if you're not a patient person, it's because you lack the leading of the Spirit of God in that area of your life. That's it. It simply means I have not yielded and bent my knee to the Father and yielded myself to the Spirit of God because every place that I yield my, my knee to Him, every place I yield my life to Him, the fruit of that will be displayed. You make a tree good, the fruit will be good. So it's not in a self-condemning way, but it's, it's in a way where when, that's why we, it's good to read the Word and actually look at Jesus and see that He's really the firstborn of many brethren. That's why your Bible tells you that, that he's the firstborn of many brethren. He's not, the, he's not the lastborn. He's the firstborn, meaning there's many to follow him. And it was God's idea to conform us to the image of his son. So when we see Jesus in the word, we see who he's making us to become. And so if we see Jesus and we see ourselves and we see there's a gap there, it's not okay to just say, well, I'm only human because he became a man and became what we were so that we could see who we could become if we would yield to the same spirit that he yielded to be fathered by the same father that he was fathered by. And so when we see him in the word, we see God's design for us and for what our life looks like. When you see Jesus being compassionate, it's because he's calling us to become people who when we see hurt, there's compassion and we respond to it. When you see Jesus being generous, it's because he's calling us to be generous people that when we see need, if we can meet it, we meet it. It's not so that we can look and say, wow, isn't that amazing that Jesus did that? It's so that we can say, that's amazing Jesus did that and even more amazing that he calls me to be like him. That he said, if I would follow him, he would make me. His responsibility is to make me who he wants me to be. He said to Peter, listen, you follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Peter didn't have to make himself a fisher of men, but he did have to follow Jesus and trust that he would make him who he desired for him to be. And every time I say yes to him, I become more the person he's called me to be. Every time I yield myself to the spirit, every time that something that wants to rise up in me that doesn't look like Jesus, I recognize it for what it is. I see it for what it is. I take the thought captive, cast it down to the obedience of Christ. I become and I manifest Jesus in the world. And every time you manifest Jesus, the kingdom of light grows and the kingdom of darkness shrinks every single time. And so, um, so just... That, that whole self-awareness thing, just make sure that, that you're aware of your true self. 
that we don't give ourselves excuses. Well, you know, that's just the way that I am doesn't work anymore. That's no longer valid for someone who's born again. That's the way that you were. But when you became born again in Christ and a new spirit took up residence inside of you, it didn't bring with it any of those things that you gave yourself to prior. And when those things try to come back, it's because it's a familiar spirit trying to find its way back to the place that it always once dwelt. You need to understand, we, we as believers, we have to understand this. That stuff's not in me anymore. It says, how can light and dark coexist? What business does Baal have with the, with the Spirit of God? In other words, they, they're not, you're not mixed. You're not this 50-50 balance of partial good and partial bad, and you know, every day's a war to see which one's going to win. No, when you were born again, you were completely filled with light. He said, if, you're, if your eye is single, your whole body will be flooded with light. That means when I'm looking at him and I don't have any other source, when he's my source, it floods my whole body with light. There's no darkness in me. So when that darkness tries to come, it's trying to find its way back in. You don't condemn yourself. Oh, what's wrong with me? I can't believe I'm thinking this. That thought might not be yours. Why are you taking ownership of it and blaming yourself for it and believing that that's still who you are? It's trying to find its way back into a place that it always was before. That's why it has to get replaced with truth. Jesus said, when you cast out a demon, when the demon goes, that if the house is swept clean and made and left empty, that he comes back with his friends and it's worse than it was before. That's why every time that a lie leaves, the truth has to come so that that there's no place in you anymore. So when you realize I've been set free from that, that freedom, that truth that you've been set free takes up residence in your heart and it's a safeguard against that thing coming back. So when it tries to come back, you don't look down in your heart and say, how did you get back in there? You see it for what it is. You're out there and you're trying to get back in. That's how we do spiritual warfare, by taking thoughts captive that would raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is this. He's in me. He's not partially there. He didn't come and halfway fill my heart and leave the rest to whatever else wanted to take up residence. He consumed me. He filled me. And he doesn't coexist. Light doesn't coexist with darkness. You've never walked into a room, turn on the light, and half the room get bright. And half the, they, you, 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 don't do, you can't make this room darker by turning up brightness. The only way that darkness can be allowed in here is if the light leaves. And so the only way that darkness can come back in is if the light would let it back in. You have to understand that you're salt and light. And when that thing tries to come, rather than taking ownership of it and self-condemning, and what's wrong with me, and I thought that I was over this, and I can't believe I'm still dealing with this stuff again. No, listen. That thing's coming back because it knows your address. It used to live there, and it thinks that's its home. But when it finds truth, when it tries to come back, and you're, no, that's not who I am. I won't give myself to that anymore. There was a time where I used to live that way, and you used to have free reign with me. And that thought would lead me to another thought that would lead me to another thought that would lead me to an action. And pretty soon, I'd be doing the very thing you're wanting me to do, but that's not me anymore. I was bought with a price. My life doesn't even belong to me anymore. I'm no longer my own. The spirit of the God lives, of living God lives inside of me. And greater is he that's in me than that that's trying to come in. And all of a sudden now, rather than blaming yourself and thinking what's wrong with me, your eyes are where they're supposed to be. It's on who I really am in Christ and who really is the enemy. Rather than fighting yourself, you're fighting the real enemy. It's out there trying to find its way in. It's not in you. That's why Paul said, don't give the devil a foothold. He can't take one unless you give it to him. You know how you give him a foothold? You give him a foothold. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm still, oh, but I thought I, they prayed for me at church and, and I thought that I was, and now how come I? And all of a sudden you have all these thoughts and you're owning these things and you're allowing that stuff in and you're taking ownership of it and you're saying it has a place in your life and you're giving it a foothold and now all of a sudden your thinking is clouded because you're hearing the voice of a stranger rather than seeing it for what it is, taking authority over it and walking in truth and in light and staying in the freedom that you were set free for.
You walk in that, and I promise you, that stuff can't, that's why Jesus can say, the devil has no place in me. What was he meaning? He's meaning there's nothing in me that belongs to him. I've given him no place to land. He doesn't, he's not in me because I, I, there's no place for him to come in me. He's always trying to find a place. The reason you saw that guy at the gym right after you prayed that prayer is because the enemy believes that you don't really mean what you say when you pray and you say, God, I, just help me to forgive and help me to forget. And he thinks if I can parade that dude in front of him, all those memories will come back and his heart will get back to the place that it was before he prayed that prayer. But when you manifest Jesus in the middle of it and in the middle of the feelings coming when you see him and the heart racing a little bit, you know what I'm talking about. It happens. It's not coincidence. Listen, God will bring people into your path so that you can actually walk out what you've said, but the enemy will try to use that to keep you in the place that you were. So what he wants to do is reproduce himself in you, and what God wants to do is reproduce himself in you, and you decide which one gets reproduced by the way that you respond. Because both of them are trying to reproduce themselves inside of you. It's the truth. This is the simplest thing. It's why he wanted them to eat the fruit. Why? Because every fruit contains seed, and every seed reproduces after its own kind. And all he's trying to do is bring that fruit in front of you. And all God's saying is, watch the fruit of righteousness. That's my boy. Watch how he responds. You parade that guy in front of him. He'll manifest Jesus and he'll crush your head. Oh, and then you look at that. So you're crushing your head. (laughs) And then you look at the guy and in the face of any feeling that would come, you look at that familiar situation and in the face of that feeling that would try to rise up that was Lord for so long, See, you can have, Paul says, you know, there, there are many gods. There's many things out there you can make Lord. There's only one who is Lord. But you can make something Lord. if you want. That's why God said you'll have no other gods before me. What's he saying? You can make things God if you choose to. So you, you let that thing be Lord for so long that you didn't even realize. And that's why when the bondage and the yoke is broke off your back, Something leaves that you didn't even realize was there because it becomes so part of the way that you think for so long. It started to feel normal. And you've got this weight that you're carrying around. You don't even realize you're carrying it around. And God the whole time is saying, man, I could set you free from that. Would you give it to me? And all of a sudden, here he comes. And if you could see into the spirit realm, listen to me, guys. It, it's, we fix our eyes on what is unseen, for what is unseen is, is eternal. What is seen is temporary temporal, passing away, fading. What we don't see is more real than what we do see. We battle not against flesh and blood. That guy was never the problem, but against powers and principalities. We battle against forces and wickedness in high places, right? So here comes that guy, and if you could see in the spirit realm what's going on, here comes their champion. And on this side, they're cheering because they know what happened before when you saw his picture, heard his name, seen his face. But on this side, the whole host that cheers you on is cheering. Because they see the Christ in you. They see your heart. Because man's looking at the outside. God's busy looking at the heart. And the host of witnesses is cheering you on, saying, walk in that very thing. Because he believes that what he started in you, he'll be able to complete. Because he's faithful to complete the good work he started in you. And here comes an opportunity to do that. And you've got one realm over here that's cheering and just waiting for you to take the bait and let that seed of hatred reproduce inside of you. You've got another realm over here that's waiting for you to manifest Christ and let that seed reproduce inside of him. And all of a sudden, you make a decision. Because we make decisions like that every single day we're faced with what will reproduce itself both in us and in the people around us. Because every fruit contains seed and every seed reproduces after its own kind. What's the whole reason in the garden? Why does he want them to eat the fruit? Not because he cares about the fruit. He wants the seed sin to get inside of them so that it could reproduce itself. And what happened when man sinned, when Adam sinned, even as one sinned, all sinned. 
what happened? That thing started to reproduce itself, and it reproduced itself in every single person that was born into Adam. Every single person. That's why Jesus couldn't be the seed of a man. He had to be the seed of a woman. Fathered by the Holy Spirit, the seed of God. The word of God, the sperma of God, the seed of God is what fathered him. So he's not born with that sin seed inside of him reproducing itself. He's the only one. He's the first one, but he's the firstborn of many. So every one of us was born with that sin reproducing itself inside of us. The original sin of Adam, the fruit, the seed went in. It starts to reproduce itself, and over and over again it reproduces itself. And then along comes Jesus, the seed of the Holy Spirit coming over a woman. Think about this. The Holy Spirit comes over and comes inside of a woman and, reprodu- and produces Jesus, who is perfection, who is without spot and blemish, who is without sin. He doesn't have that thing reproducing inside of him. He's got the Spirit of God, the Word of God, reproducing fruit inside of him. So everywhere he goes, he manifests what's inside of him. That's why he said the kingdom of God's within you. Why? Because everywhere you go, there's a kingdom that's manifesting itself and reproducing itself. And if you live by feelings, you'll reproduce what those feelings have produced your whole life. You live by truth, and you'll reproduce what the truth is telling you in every situation. So I had no plans on preaching this, but we'll see what happens. So here comes Jesus onto the scene, born of a woman. That's why when God said, I'll send one, he'll be the seed of a woman. The bruises heal and crush your head, not the seed of a man, not the seed of Adam. Every man was born into the first Adam into sin. That's why every man must be born again into Christ who is the second and the last Adam. Born again. This time, what caused that birth? The first time was caused by a man coming into a woman and the two of them in union produced life. The second time, it's the Spirit of God once again coming inside of you and in union reproducing Jesus. And we talked about this, remember, at Christmas time? That word that, that he talks about when he says, Mary, blessed and, and favored are you among women. That word favored is the same one that he uses when he talks about us in Ephesians. And he says we're, we're favored among the brethren. That word favored there, he's telling her, you've been chosen to, reproduce, to bring forth the Christ for the world to see. Then Paul, the only other time it's used, the only other time it's used, again, is in Ephesians when he talks about the fact that we have been chosen and favored amongst the brethren. Why? Because we, like Mary, have been chosen by God to have the Spirit of God come inside of us and reproduce Christ for the world to see. That's incredible. And every day we make choices, and every day our choices determine which one we bring forth. And they're cheering, and they're cheering, but only one of them is cheering after the decision is made. Both sides are cheering with the expectation that something's about to happen. But when that thing happens, only one side. We need to start living aware of that, you guys. We start living aware of the fact that our decisions affect so much more than just what's right in front of us in that moment. That they actually matter for eternity. They carry weight. That we're actually building or tearing down a kingdom every single time we make a decision. In which kingdom am I building? In which kingdom am I tearing down? Who am I becoming more like in this instance? Am I becoming more like him or am I following the voice of a stranger and becoming more like him as he seeks to reproduce himself inside of me the same way God is reproducing himself inside of me? I get to decide which one I give myself to in that moment. When you look at him and you say, I need you to forgive me, the enemy is silent or even worse, they're screaming because they can't believe that someone actually believes when they're face to face 
what they said they believed when they were alone in their room. Because so many times people will believe something when they're alone. When they're, listen, and it's not invalid. You have these experiences with God. You come to church and you feel excited about something. You learn a truth or you have a great time in worship. You feel the presence of God and, and you, you make these decisions. You make these vows. You, 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 you stand up and say, I need to get free from this or I need prayer for that or I want more of this. I want to walk in that. And none of that is invalid. But the problem is, is that that's only a decision that's made in that moment that then has to be walked out for a lifetime. And you will have opportunity to honor what you said. And God believes that you'll honor it because he is confident in himself and in the power of God inside of you. He's undefeated. He doesn't even know what it is to lose. He's so confident in his word reproducing itself inside of you and bringing to fruition Jesus that he actually chose us, us to represent himself. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then Jesus said to us, I can't, that, that as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. What's he saying? God entrusted me to show the world what he was like. I'm leaving now and I'm entrusting you to do the same. And he actually believes that you and I are capable of showing the world what the Father's like. He entrusts us that much because he trusts the spirit of himself inside of us. And there'll be opportunity every single time you make those things. I promise you there'll be an opportunity real soon for you to walk in the fruit of what you've said. And every time you stay faithful to the thing that you've chose, every time you say, I know what I've normally done in this situation, but something other than Jesus was Lord in that time. I let something other than him be Lord, and I made a decision that didn't honor his lordship. Every time you make a decision that honors the, the commitment that you've made to God, A, it becomes more part of who you are, and B, it destroys the kingdom of darkness in that situation, and it brings forth the kingdom of his son. And listen, here's the thing. What starts out as a conscious decision that you have to think about and sometimes actually like wage war again. Remember Jesus in the garden? He says he's sweating like drops of blood. It's not like it was all easy for him. It's not like it didn't take some actual effort of like, God, if there's any, and he wasn't in the garden speaking King James, Lord, if there, be, if there be us any other way. It's not Shakespeare. This is real life, and he's crying out to his father, God, if there's any other way than this, let this cup pass before me. What's he saying? God, I'd rather do anything than the thing that you're calling me to do at this moment. That's what I feel to the point where I'm sweating like drops of blood. But nevertheless, God, not what I want, but what you want be done. What's he saying? God, but don't let my life look like the sum of my wants and my decisions. Let it look like the sum of your wants and your decisions. I bow my knee to you, and I bend my will to your will, God. He told the disciples before that that he had to go and die. It was probably a whole lot easier in that moment for him to say, I'm going to go there, and they're going to crucify me, than it was when the guards are coming, the pitchforks and the torches are coming. And the cross is looming in the background. But every time we make that commitment, there's an opportunity to walk in it. And every time we walk in it, it becomes more and more settled in our hearts where we actually believe ourselves. Every time you honor a commitment you make, you prove to yourself that you actually believe what you say. And it becomes more a part of who you are and it stops becoming this hard, like, like there's things now that I walk in that at one day were this hard, conscientious decision that I had to make, that I was no or yes or whatever it was, that now have just become second nature and part of who I am because I've walked in them for long enough. That I no longer have to think every time through because it's a decision that I've made and now the decision keeps me. And the more I do it, the more it becomes who I am. And he actually gives me the desires of my heart, meaning he places desires in my heart. These desires I have inside of my heart are there because he gave them to me. And so they start looking more like his desires. And pretty soon I'm not struggling against what I want and all that stuff. I'm actually walking in the fruit of what I want looks like what he wants. 
because I've been walking after him and making these decisions over and over again. And when I get alone with him, I don't just say something so that I can feel better in that moment when I'm alone. I say something so that when I'm faced with it, I actually have a commitment that keeps me where I know I want to be. That's what walking after him and growing up spiritual maturity looks like. It's no longer being tossed to and fro. It means I don't get alone and pray one thing and then get out in public and do another. Or get alone and pray one thing and then get alone and go do something other than what I've prayed. It means that my yes means yes and my no means no because I'm growing up into all things, even Christ who's the head. So here's how it looks, right? Like I've told this story before to some of you guys, but I, there, I remember one day when, when this became so real to me of, of, of this thing of proving to ourselves that we actually believe what we say. Because listen, if your heart doesn't believe your mouth, you're in a bad place. That's why it says that if, if, if our hearts don't condemn us, we stand before him and we're not condemned. That's what John's talking about in 1 John when he says that. He's saying if when you say something, your heart goes, yeah, that's true. Because your heart knows you. You can't lie. Your head can't lie to your heart. If you're, you get in a place where what you're saying from your mouth, your heart doesn't believe, that's a bad place to be. Because now you're like a man who doesn't, that's why James said, when you ask, you must believe. What's he saying? When you say it with your mouth, there should be something in your heart that bears witness to it. He said, otherwise, that man is, is like a man tossed to and fro in the sea, unstable in all his ways. Let that man expect to receive nothing. That's what James is talking about. That's what John's talking about. You can actually have a place where your heart doesn't even believe you, where you're saying something and your heart's going, that's not true. But every time it's the other way around and you actually prove that you actually believe what you say and you walk in the fruit of it, your heart goes, yeah, that's true. And now all of a sudden you have credibility with yourself because you're not someone who just makes empty promises and just says hollow things. You actually walk by the conviction and the principle that you claim to live by with your mouth and your heart begins to be encouraged. And suddenly you start to believe that you are who he says that you are. And I, there was this day where one time I went down to um, Clemson. I was meeting a... Uh, um, kid who was coming to church. He worked as an engineer down there. And so I went down to meet him and I met him at this little diner and I got there before he did. So I pulled out my, my MacBook and I put it on the table and I uh, put the bag on the chair next to me. And I was working on my computer, answering some emails and doing some stuff. And he got there. So I folded my laptop up and put it on the bag and the chair next to me. And we had lunch. It was awesome. And we just talked about a lot of things. And he had a bunch of questions about stuff. And it was really just a great time. And I was thinking, man, this was awesome. I'm glad I came down here. And and, um, and so then we got done eating, and we got done talking and prayed, and I left, and I got back here to the church, and I was coming into the office to finish up what I had started at, uh, down there, and I, I went to grab my laptop, and I thought, oh, no, my laptop's gone. And, and like, for some of you guys, it's like, oh, my laptop's gone. For me, I'm like, like freaking out because my life is on there, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. And, you know, you leave a pretty new MacBook Pro in a college town at a cafe, you kind of get what you deserve, right? And so, so I decided I was going to call down there, right? So I get out of the car, or I get, I'm sitting in the car, and I try to call, and um, there's no answer. Uh, it says the phone number's been disconnected. When I looked it up, I'm thinking, oh. So I'm like, God. So someone else was here at the church, and, and I came in to get a drink. It was hot. It was like 90-something degrees out. I came in to get a drink and try to figure out what I was going to do, and... Um, and I shut my door of my car. I came inside. They said, hey, I'm just leaving. I was like, yeah, no problem. Like, you know, and they left. I got a, a, I actually got coffee. I don't know why it was hot out, but I got a cup of coffee. They just made some, I just was like, I need some coffee. And, uh, and um, so I, I got a cup of coffee and I walked out. And as I walked out, I heard the door click behind me, you know? And so I'm like, oh, I'm locked out. I think I have my key. 
yeah, I have my key. So I got to the car, I grabbed the handle, and it, my hand flies off the handle, and I realize I've locked my keys and my phone <laughs> inside my car. It's like 90-something degrees out. And so I put the coffee up on the roof of the car, and I just stood there looking, and everything inside of me wanted to freak out and just say unpastorly things and find something to kick or break. Because it's 95 degrees out, my phone and my keys are locked inside my car, my laptop is sitting now, and every minute that goes by is another minute they're going to seat someone at that table who's going to find it, and I'm just sitting there just imagining the worst and so I'm like, well, I got to get into my car. And, I, you know, so I look around and I see a wooden stake. I grab the wooden stake. I put it in the window and I pry the window open a little bit on the back. And, and, and my little Honda Civic that I have is so cool. They, they just had little skinny little posts for the doorknob. You know, it wasn't like you had a latch that you could try to hook and pull. It didn't have like, you know, just a straight up and down little post. And, and so I found a landscaper flag that they had marked out here. And it was stuck in the ground, and so I pulled that landscaper flag out, ripped the flag off of it, bent it, and um, put it down in there. And that's when I realized it was just a post, because I bent a little hook on it. I was going to grab the, and I'm like, oh, this is not good. And so I'm pulling the thing out, and I realized I had to bend it, so I bent it. When I did, I hit the coffee cup. And the coffee, now listen, this is the truth. The coffee cup starts dumping down the roof of the car, and it runs down my arm. I've got hot coffee running down my arm, into my armpit, down my side, which is just delightful. And not only that, but it's pouring into my car and dripping all over the car on the inside because it's wedged open with a piece of wood. (laughs) And in that moment, I promise you, in that moment, all I wanted to do was just freak out and, and lose it. But I couldn't. This is the truth. And I stood there for a moment, and I looked at that little skinny post. I looked at the coffee dripping in. Tried to dry my arm. And I said, God, I thank you so much that I'm a patient person. God, I thank you. Listen, this is truth. I thank you that your spirit is greater in me than any of this stuff. I trust you. I trust you with my MacBook. I trust you with my car. I trust you with all of this. There was a time, and I'm I'm saying this to myself, and as I'm saying it, the truth is bearing witness in my heart. God, there was a time where right now I probably would have made things worse by kicking my car, denting it, breaking my toe, and then really being in. But you've made me a patient person because of your spirit in me, and I'm not that man anymore. And so, God, I just pray that you give me the skill to do this and that you would preserve my, my laptop because that was a gift from the church. It belongs to you anyways. It's not even mine, so protect your laptop, God. And I didn't, and so I pulled the, the hanger out, and I decided I was, this is going to be fun, like trying to figure out how to get this lock undone. And it, it was just a change in perspective. All it took was me looking at it and seeing, this isn't a problem. This will get fixed. This will get solved. And I had this amazing joy inside of me because in that moment, I proved to myself that everything I say is true. And my heart was convinced of what my mouth had declared. So I took the coat hanger and I made a little circle with it and I put it down in there and I, I made a little circle and so when I, I put it straight down and I pushed down and when it pushed against the post, that circle opened up a little bit and went down and I turned it into a little bit of an angle and popped the lock up, opened the door, got in, logged on to, uh, or went online and looked up that restaurant and the thing that popped up, the number was disconnected, but below that they had a Facebook page so I clicked on their Facebook page and then there was a different phone number on there. So I called that number, and they answered the phone. I said, hey, uh, I was down there about an hour and a half ago. 
two hours ago, and I left my laptop. Did anyone happen to find it? She said, oh, yes, we did, sir. We found it, and we close in about 30 minutes, um, so I will put it at the Italian restaurant next door and have them put it behind the bar there. Just walk in and ask the bartender for your laptop and tell them it's a silver one that came from across the street, and they'll give it to you. I was like, this is amazing. Got in my car, drove, and the whole way there, I wasn't frustrated. I wasn't angry that I had to drive all the way back there. I was actually thrilled, and I spent the whole time talking to God and praising him for who he'd made me to be. I, that could have went so many, and I wish I could say every single time I do that. I would, but there's too many people in here that know me. <laughs> I couldn't get away with it. There's some people here that play basketball with me, played hockey with me. But I can say this, the more I've done it, the more it's become natural and the less I have to fight to get to that place and the more I just fight to stay there. And that's the truth of what walking in. It says he transforms us into the image of his son. It says we go from glory to glory. We're actually being transformed. Along the way, do we have times where we screw up? Yeah, that's what grace is for. It comes along and it says, listen, that's not who you are. It actually points out that that's not who you are to call you higher rather than pointing out what's wrong with you to condemn you lower. Grace comes along and says, that's not who you were made to be. That's not Jesus. It's that thing coming to Dylan and saying, you know, there's some things going on in your life that don't look like me. Let's deal with that. Not because, see, you, you don't just deal with the symptom. Because Dylan could have, he could have just bit his lip, right? And just said, oh, I'm not going to get mad when I drive. The problem is, is then you're trying to change the tree by changing the fruit. The Bible says make a tree good. The fruit will be good. Not make the fruit good and it'll change the tree. And too many times, what we've been tempted to do is to think about the fruit and try to change the fruit without realizing that fruit's being produced by a tree that's got roots somewhere. Why don't we fix the root problem? Then the, tree, the fruit will follow suit. Whoa, that was way too rhymy. I don't like that rhymy stuff. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm not that guy. <laughs> but, I, I, yeah, I'm not going to get to this message. I'll have to wait till after Dan's here. Um, it's really like a family talk kind of message. But, and I didn't get to it the last service either. We talked about something totally different. But, uh, so if you want to know what we talked about last service, you can get the podcast and they'll tell them to get this one. But, yeah, they're not the same at all. But, but I, I just want to actually, I want to just close up with this and just pray for some people. Because this is something that I think has stolen from the church uh, for so long, and it's this lie that once I've been set free from something, that I will never again either face it or have opportunity to give myself to it again. You know, whether the, the easy part is saying to someone, I forgive you in your heart, right? You, you, just, you just say, I forgive you. The harder part is actually walking in forgiveness when you see that person. That's a whole different thing. You can humanly say the words, right? And that's why Jesus said, unless you forgive your brother from your heart, not from your mouth. Because you can say, I forgive you, but in your heart, not actually walk in forgiveness. And when you see them, what's in your heart will actually manifest. It's a good proving time. But here's the thing. You may be so free from something. Whom the Son is set free is free indeed. If you were set free by Jesus, you're actually free indeed. You are so free. But that thing wants its way back in because it always had a place. And for too long, I think it has robbed the joy of our salvation from the church because we've gone introspective in those times and thought there's something wrong with me. 
I guess I'm not as fixed as they said. I guess the prayer didn't work. I guess I need this or I need that. The truth of the matter is you don't need any of that. You need truth and you need to realize you're set free, but there's still an enemy in the land and he would love for you to let him back in. And he's trying to find a place back where he always was before. So if, you, if you've dealt with that, I want to pray for you. I want to actually speak some truth to you, and then we're going to pray for you. I know we've done a lot of praying today, but that's okay, right? We minister one to another. That's why we gather together to sharpen each other and encourage each other on, spur each other into love and good deeds, to minister to each other. You notice when we pray for people here, it's not me or the anointed few that do the praying. We do have a prayer team. They're up here every week at the end of service. They love to pray. They're gifted in prayer and intercession and speaking prophetically into your life. But we believe that every person filled with the Spirit can lay their hands on people and see the same thing happens if I laid my hands on them. Because it's not me, it's not you. It's the power of God that's in us. It's his spirit alive in us. So, um, so if, if, if you've dealt with that over the past, just past month or so, or you, when I'm talking, something's popped into your mind. Let's just put it that way, right? Like you already know, you, you've put yourself, every time I've made a generic statement, you've thought of that thing, whatever that thing is. And, and, and you feel tempted sometimes to feel condemned and think, I thought I was free. How come? And if I did, then why not? And all these things. If you've been there, lived there, the devil's had his way with you in that, would you just be brave enough just to stand up? I'm not going to ask you what it is, but if, if, that's, if you would say, that's me, I've dealt with that. Yeah, just stand up right where you are because I want to speak some truth to you because that's what you need. You need truth. And then we're going to pray and minister to you. Come on, is there anybody else? Because, yeah, don't listen. Like, the crazy thing is, is God's not in heaven going, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. It's so crazy. How'd they get that one by us? He knows this is for your sake to say, God, I don't want to live this way anymore. And you already know what's going on. Now I know what's going on. The light has come. Darkness has to go. That's what we say. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The light's already come. You're just arising. And when you arise into the light that's there, then you shine. Jesus isn't in heaven going, Moses, look at this. I can't, they didn't, are you kidding? No one's surprised. The enemy hates it. Because when you see who you are and you see who you've become, you can see who you're not and you won't become that. You start seeing that thing wants to reproduce itself inside of me and you start having that. You actually go to war against those things. You say, you'll have no place in me. There was a time where you had free reign. You've been evicted. There's a new spirit inside of me and it's not you and you're not Lord. He's Lord. That's what you do. Listen, you just get vigilant at that thing. When that thought comes that would normally take you down that path of beating yourself up, condemning yourself, whatever it is, whatever it is that you've been dealing with, when those thoughts come, you see them for what they are, and you take authority over them, and you say, that is not who I am because I can't find that in Christ, and I'm in Christ, and if I can't find it in him, then I shouldn't be able to find it in me because my life is hidden in him. What business do light and dark... Where are you seated? You're seated in heavenly places with Christ, meaning what? You're in Christ. You're in covenant with him, and you're in him. He said, let them be, I be them in, in me as I'm in them. Jesus said this, this big picture of this, this union of covenant where we come into covenant with him, and we're now in him, and he's in us. And if light and darkness have no place together, then that means when you're in Christ, that, that darkness has no place there because he is light. So now it's trying to find its way in, and it only can stay as long as you let it but it will stay every second that you let it. He can't take one, but he'll take every one you give him. So you stop letting that thing in, and it's not by white-knuckling it. It's by getting alone with him and letting him father you. It's by finding yourself in that place of saying, God, I want to look like Jesus. God, I don't want to give myself to this or to that. I don't want that to have a place in me anymore. God, I don't want to reproduce any kingdom but yours. 
God, help me to see it for what it is. God, give me the strength. Give me the wisdom to see things as they are. Spirit, Jesus said that you would lead me and guide me into all truth. I pray that you would lead me into this truth so that I can walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. That he could receive the reward of his suffering and receive everything that he paid for so that not one drop of that precious blood would ever be wasted on me. That's what you have to do. You just get alone with him. But the thing is, is then you get opportunity. When that opportunity comes, you let the promise that was made alone be the thing that keeps you. Jesus gets alone with the Father and says, I'm not going to do what it is that I want. I'm going to do what you want. And then he marches straight to a cross and does exactly what he said he would do. Here's the thing. We talked about this a little last week, right? He asked his friends to come and pray with him. That's awesome. We're going to pray for you. The truth of the matter is, if nobody prayed for you, you can still do what it is that God called you to do because Jesus came back and found his friends three times and said, couldn't you even pray for a little while? You guys are sleeping. He didn't let them be a reason that he didn't do what the Father called him to do in the face of the fact, now we're going to actually pray with you. So if Jesus thought there was value in having people pray, we believe there's value in having people pray, but it's not our prayers that will keep you there. It's the Spirit of God in you and you yielding yourself to him that will keep you there every single time. Just put your hand on someone close to you guys. And let's just thank God for the truth of his word reproducing life inside of them. God, I thank you that the truth of your word reproduces life. That every seed reproduces after its own kind. You said a sower sows the seed. And then Jesus, you said that the seed is the word of God. So we believe that that seed, that word of God, will reproduce after its own kind and reproduce righteousness and the fruit of righteousness in our lives. And I thank you for the strength, the wisdom, and the courage, God, to walk this out. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come right now and begin to just speak and fill any, any place that's been, that's been uh, uh, held off limits, God, or where lies have kept truth from penetrating, that you would come right now and just break through, that light would absolutely dominate darkness, and that darkness has to flee. I thank you, God, that you, are, you, you, the God, that you care way more about us walking this life the way you called us than we do. It was your plan and your idea. It cost you the life of your son. You're fully committed. And we thank you for that. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.